0: Hi friends, it's AJ, the survivor half of the Maybe Swearing Helps podcast duo. Don't worry, I have not put Sherry into a wood chipper yet. It is too cold for that shit. She is at home, nestled in her blankets next to her electric fireplace, watching Big Sky with her dog and her two very adorable cats. Though I do have to tell you, Girl does deserve to be put through a wood chipper because do you know what she said to me the other day? She said, hey, AJ, do you remember when you used to look cute, like you used to wear cute dresses and blouses? Now you just look like you're homeless. That's right, she called me homeless. (sighs) I actually, in my defense, I actually had to go out and buy a shit ton of leggings And like loungy type shirts because my entire closet is full of a professional wardrobe. And let me tell you, sitting in your skinny jeans all day long, your tummy just begs for freedom. But you know, if she keeps this up and calls me homeless one more time, I am definitely, I am definitely going to shove her head in a snowbank. No, uh, no, I won't do that. I love her too much. I would never shove somebody's head in a snowbank unless they absolutely deserved it. Like you'd have to step on a, a trash panda's tail or steal his snack or something. In honor of Heart Month, I am bringing you a very special bonus episode, which you are listening to right now, by the way. His Heart Saved Mine, My Father's Story. I am going to date myself here. I graduated high school in the summer of 2001, and I took a semester off. I stayed home to help my mom take care of my dad. At that time, my dad was sick. We didn't know what was going on with him, and he did not have health insurance, so he did not want to go to the doctor. He was against doctors anyway, so we didn't have the funds for him to receive the care. And... That fall, I just watched my dad's health deteriorate, and he got worse and worse. He was less vibrant. He wasn't the person that I knew him to be. And I remember right before it was in January, I was supposed to leave for college. I ended up getting bronchitis, and my mom brought me to the doctor, and my dad said, hey, if you get some antibiotics, do you think you could give me a couple? Maybe they'll help and i got the z pack and you couldn't break up the z pack so i couldn't share with him and i felt terrible but he was like no nope, you need them more than i do you need to be healthy for college and i just remember he was even though he was so sick and so weak he was so incredibly proud when he was packing me up for college like he was folding my clothes perfectly and making sure that i had everything i needed that i had a little refrigerator and a microwave and all of the bedding that I wanted for my perfect dorm room bed. When the day came, we drove up to Ladysmith, Wisconsin. I went to a college that actually closed after my first semester of being there called Mount Scenario College. At that time, my major was in forensic psychology. I wanted to be a profiler with the FBI. And my dad didn't have the strength to actually moved me into my dorm room he sat in the car like he he checked it out but going up those flights of stairs just too much for him so he just sat down and I just remember having this gut feeling in my body like a feeling that i never want to feel again in my lifetime that that was the last time I was going to see my dad alive like I just remember looking at him and remembering every detail of his appearance and the sound of his voice, because I knew something was going to happen. That somehow my presence being there every day was keeping him alive, giving him a reason to keep going. And I was right. On February 8th, 2002, I had called home to talk to my dad. It was also my sister's birthday i preface this by i am not on speaking terms with my sister she's a very self-centered selfish childlike person so i had called home to talk to my dad i was very excited i wanted to tell him about my first test and how i got an a i knew he would be so proud and she was like she answered the phone which was unusual because it was early in the morning and she was like, well, dad's, dad's sleeping. And I said, no, go wake him up. He'll want you to wake him up. Go wake him up. And she, no, dad is sleeping. I cannot wake him up. He is sleeping. And I said, no. And she's like, he's finally got, and I was like, no, go wake him up. He will be pissed at you if he finds out that I called and you did not wake his ass up. There was a pause on the phone and she got her annoying entitled selfish brat bitchy voice going and she was like oh my god it is my birthday and mom has not given me my present yet and I was like yeah I know it's your birthday why hasn't mom given you your birthday present yet because that was my mom's thing like she would put a present in our bedrooms for us and we'd have to find it when we woke up like this continued like well into when we moved out of their house and she, well, because she's not here and my mom worked nights and I was like, well, where's mom? Where is she? She should be there. I don't think she worked last night. <laughs> she's at the hospital. And I'm like, well, why is mom at the hospital? And just as fast as you could say it, she's like, well, um, she came home and she found dad slumped on the floor and he's dying. And I'm like, wait, wait, what? Our father is dying. And she's like, yeah, he's in the emergency room He's dying, and I haven't gotten my birthday present yet. She did not give a fuck that our father, that the man who created us, who raised us, he was a stay-at-home dad while my mom went out and was a breadwinner. He cooked our meals, did our hair, made sure we stayed alive, made sure she didn't kill me, made sure she didn't cut my Barbie doll's hair, took us to school, took us to work, drove us to summer camp, drove us to go get an ice cream cone, was dying. She did not give a shit that day. It took a few minutes for that news to sink in. And I remember just hanging up the phone and falling to my knees in my dorm room and just praying to God to take me instead, to put me in his place, because I knew he was too weak to fight the battle. And I thought, well, you know, if I could trade places, you take me instead and you keep him. My dad was so sick that he had to be transported to the Mayo Clinic. And when he was at the Mayo Clinic, in the ER, they gave him a survival score of zero. His heart was fluttering so fast, it was barely pushing any blood through his body. And he had a sudden cardiac arrest that somehow, by the grace of God, he, his heart restarted on its own but it went into VFib. And in the coming days, he was diagnosed with congestive heart failure. They were not able to get his heart rhythm under control, so they did a procedure to reset his heart. And when he woke up from that procedure, he said to the nurse, I feel like I've lost a day. And she said, yep, a lot of people say that that go through this. I was still at college at this time. My mom wasn't able to come get me. My sister refused and I actually didn't have a car. So, and I knew my dad would want me to stay in school. He'd want me because that was his dream for me was to go to college so I could come, the FBI profiler that I always talked about. So he didn't see me. I came home for spring break and I had the rudest awakening that no daughter should ever get from their 50-year-old father. He looked at me. He called me my mom's name, my sister's name. He himself has eight sisters. He called me a couple of their names to see the light go out of my father's eyes because he couldn't remember my name. He couldn't remember who I was. I was his daughter, his pride and joy, his favorite child, the baby. And he couldn't remember who I was. That was so incredibly hard for me that I made a vow right then and there on that day. I would do everything in my power to help him get his memory back and to never forget who I was again. And slowly but surely he did. His doctor at the Mayo said to me, why don't you come up with a nickname that when he hears it, He associates it with you. And eventually, hopefully, the brain will remember who you are. So I called him Pete. And to this day, I call him Pete. And he knows exactly who I am. I am his pride and his joy in this world. He tells people, I am successful because my daughter is successful. That is the success of a parent is ensuring that your child is self-sufficient and capable and successful, and that they take the world by its balls. His words, not mine. Little do we know that seven years later, my dad would be standing at my bedside. I remember when he walked into my hospital room at the Woodwinds Health Campus in Woodbury. He looked at me, and he pointed at me, and he has this thing where something is really hard and emotional. He laughs. It's his coping mechanism. And there were some nurses hanging up some new IV bags, and somebody was doing something because I knocked a lead off. And I could see the tears welling in his eyes as he looked at his hot mess of a daughter. And he said to me, that should be me in that bed, not her. And I know in my heart that he is a religious man. And when he heard that his daughter was in trouble and that she was dying, I have no doubt that he turned to God and he started to pray. Because no parent ever wants to hear the words, your daughter just had a massive pulmonary embolism with infarction. Her left lung is damaged and she had a stroke. We don't know if she's going to make it through the night. He sat there by my bedside. And he told me, he said, we have a decision to make. And I just looked at him like, what? And he said, you can sit here and you can be bitter. You can be angry. You can be sad. You can sit here and mourn the life that you just lost. Or you can get to your knees and you can look to the sky and you can thank God for choosing you to save You can walk boldly into your future, to your new life, and you can make a difference. I made a choice to fall to my knees and look to the sky and I never looked back. My dad was my absolute rock during my recovery. He helped me with Lovenox injections and came to our house to help me with anything that I needed. He would push the shopping cart when we'd go get groceries. He would come and watch my stepchild at the time. He would help me with projects around the house or go to the mall and just carry bags for me. And he would tell me every day, you have to keep the faith. God knows what he's doing. And he was right. God knew exactly what he was doing on that day. And I'm so incredibly thankful that I have 11 years of survivorhood under my belt and that my father as of yesterday has 19 years of survivorhood under his belt together we are the ultimate road trip buddies there is no trip no road too long as long as we have gas in the tank a diet coke in his hand and some snacks we will drive there no matter where it is we will drive there My dad is my my confidant, he is my cheerleader, he is my therapist, and I love, I just love our conversations that we have in the car together. He is an amazing human being, and I'm so thankful that God chose him to be my father. In the summer of 2014, I was 31 years old when I got admitted to the hospital for unexplained sinus tachycardia. They admitted me to the hospital because they saw my dad's, I said, this happened to my dad when he was 50. He had a sudden cardiac arrest. His heart was in V-fib. They weren't able to reset it. um, And he was diagnosed with congestive heart failure. Doctor took one look at me and said, we're going to admit you to the hospital. I'm going to And I was taken by ambulance from the urgent care clinic to the hospital in St. Louis Park. And while at the hospital, they did an echocardiogram, an MRI. They did a slew of blood tests, which one of them was to check for high C-reactive protein, which shows markers of inflammation in the body. It doesn't tell the doctor where the inflammation is in the body. It just tells them that there is an inflammation response going on. And in my case, it was in my heart. And I was 31 years old when I learned that genetics are a bitch. My dad gave me his heart. I had high C-reactive protein. I had some inflammation. And because of his health history, I was diagnosed with stage B, pre congestive heart failure. I followed in his footsteps. I followed in the footsteps he did not ever want his daughter to follow in. His heart, it saved mine because when I thought about it in 2002, the test and the knowledge wasn't even there to diagnose somebody's child with the exact same thing that happened to their father. And I have seen the level of care that he has received and how research continues to evolve and every time we turn around the male's like hey we got this new thing and my dad's just like the the fucking energizer Bunny. he just keeps on going and going and going and going and i'm like you know what this ain't so bad they're keeping him alive research saved his life it saved my life when i had my stroke and pulmonary embolism and it's gonna save my life it's no longer a death sentence and I am not afraid nor am I worried because I know that God has got this, research has got this, science and doctors and together we'll walk boldly into the night. My dad, his heart saved mine and I am incredibly lucky to be this man's daughter because if anything, he's taught me to never give up. No matter how hard things get, no matter how much shit hits the fan, you put your boots on and you keep on fucking walking until your name is called. And now I will say my dad is like a fucking cat. He's got multiple lives. Last summer. I got a phone call that no daughter wants to get. My mom called to tell me that my dad was in a car accident, a head-on collision, and on the surface, he seemed fine. But she was taking him to the emergency room to get checked out. At the scene, it happened in Ellsworth, Wisconsin. The Ellsworth Police Department wanted my dad to go by ambulance. He refused because he had his dog, Ruby, with him. And Ruby would had would have had to gone to their pound. And my dad is obsessed with his dog, Ruby. She's a Britney Spaniel. We rescued her from Iowa. She is like my baby sister. She is adorable. And she herself would not want to be separated from my dad. So the police officer noticed the situation that Ruby was looking at him like, "Mm -mm." my dad was looking at Ruby like, "Mm -mm." so he let him call my mom because Red Wing is just, I think it's like 12 miles away from Ellsworth and she comes, they drop Ruby off at home and she brings him to the emergency room (laughs) and I just go into autopilot. Like, yes, COVID was a thing and I knew that there was no way I was going to get into that emergency room, but I thought, you know what, but I want to be there when he gets out of the ER that night, because I want him to know that I care about him and that I love him enough to be like, hey, here I am sitting out here on a bench waiting for your ass to get done. Or if he had to get admitted, I could wave to his hospital room, you know, because that's what you do for family. You show up when, when the shit hits the fan. And when I was driving down, a nurse from the emergency room, she called me and she was asking me some questions about my dad and... She was like, are you on your way here? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, we're going to make an exception. We want you to come into the, I was like, oh, I thought people weren't allowed in the emergency realm. And she's like, we're going to make an exception because we want you to talk to your dad. Um, he just seems kind of off. He's a little, I don't know if he's normally this cranky. He's talking about magnet fishing. And I'm like, you know, he is cranky individual because he doesn't like, The hospital in Red Wing, and he doesn't like being in the emergency room, and he just wrecked his car and he's worried about his dog. And yes, he did go magnet fishing. And she told me, Just just come right in when you get here. Uh, the doctor will explain things. And so I get there, I talk to my dad. He's his cranky self, he's hungry, he wants to go home, he's worried about his truck, he wants to go buy a new truck, he's worried about Ruby. And I tell the nurse, I'm like, you know, I I stepped out and I was like, this is normal for him. Actually, he's normally this cranky. He's a cranky old man without a truck now, without a car. And his doctor, the ER doctor comes in and I introduce myself and he's like, "Uh, I got some bad news here. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, you're looking at my dad and he's like, your troponin levels are off the charts uh, I've called down to mail. We can either admit you here, but we can't because we don't have the the echocardiogram or, or the testing. And we don't have a cardiologist on staff right now. Uh, or you can go home and and the nurse pops in and she's like, mail clinic is on the phone. They need you to order an ambulance right now. They want him sent down to St. Mary's by ambulance right now. And I, I, I knew troponin levels were bad. I knew they weren't a good thing and they were a sign of a heart attack or or, or any type of cardiac event. And they loaded my dad up in the ambulance and it was cute. Two of the EMTs, remember, hey, I remember you. You broke your leg and we helped you out of your house. You got ran over in the parking lot like a year ago. Yes, a couple years ago. Yes, yes, he did. He got ran over in a parking lot by an older lady that was older than him. Anyway, so it was really hard watching my dad get loaded up on that stretcher, and they let me walk as far back as to where the ambulance is, like to load them up. It was hard because I knew that I couldn't follow that ambulance. If I did, there was no way in hell the mail clinic was gonna let me into St. Mary's. That place was buttoned up like Fort Knox. They were not gonna let me in and The next day, his cardiologist, a cardiologist calls and talks to me and tells me about my father. And he's like, your dad had a second sudden cardiac arrest. And I was just like, what? He's like, he had a second sudden cardiac arrest while he was driving. My dad had a sudden cardiac arrest while driving. And most likely the impact of his body hitting the steering wheel or the airbag in the crash is what restarted his heart. And I just sat back and I just looked at life like some of this shit you just have to let go because you don't know when your name is going to be called. And I thought to myself, how incredibly lucky he is to not survive only one cardiac arrest, sudden cardi- cardiac arrest, but two. He survived two sudden cardiac arrests. I often tell people that my dad is going to live forever. I know it's not true, but you know what? He's pretty darn darn near there. Because no one ever gets that lucky to survive one but two sudden cardiac arrests. And it got me thinking. He was 50 years old when it first happened. He is 69 years old now and I am 38. I am 12 years away from his first event. And I'm thankful that now we have measures that we can take to mitigate my risk of following down his path, to mitigate my risk of congestive heart failure. I follow a healthy lifestyle. I am very active, except for when it's winter. When it's winter, it's too fucking cold to go for a trail walk. I walk my dog to the stop sign and back. That's about it. I got to carry him on the way home. I eat a low-sodium diet, a healthy diet. I believe in probiotics and food-soluble vitamins. I try to buy organic and local foods as much as I can. As I stated on another podcast episode here, I cannot stand microwave meals. They are disgusting. I stay away from prepackaged foods. I believe in cooking cooking from scratch that's the best way to do it and limiting my alcohol intake and watching my weight the best that I can you know I'm not a skinny person I wasn't meant to be skinny but that's what I do and I follow in my dad's footsteps he does the same he's very active he walks his dog ruby multiple times around the block even in this gosh darn cold and he watches what he eats he is Very straightforward in his food. His breakfast is a piece of toast with butter and a slice of cheese and a banana. His lunch is usually a sandwich. Dinner is whatever my mom makes him. And he stays away from sugar and high salty foods. Even when we go out, he makes very health conscious decisions that make me look like I don't care about what I eat. You know, and he drinks water. And I think that is what has kept him going for so long is so many people receive a diagnosis like he did and they give up. He didn't give up. He put on his gloves and he went into the fight. And it's been an incredible journey to watch, an incredible fight to be on the sidelines for. Because there are so many memories that I have with my dad. So many places that I've seen. He danced with me at my first wedding. Sat there crying at my graduation. Cried when I was in a fashion show. Cried when he saw me on a billboard. You know, just so many things that if he had not been saved back in 2002 that he would have missed out on. And I can't imagine this world these past 19 years without my dad. So I'm so thankful that God realized that I am a needy fucking child and that I needed my father. I needed him so incredibly badly and I still do. And I look at him now and I'm like, he's 69. He better fucking live forever. He needs to live forever. Because of him, because of his heart, his broken heart saved mine and it will continue To save others because I know that sadly in this world other people will follow in our footsteps and I just think the more and more people that are diagnosed with congestive heart failure the more and more folks that sadly have sudden cardiac arrests, the data pool keeps growing bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and medicine keeps on advancing to catch up with us because one day in my heart of hearts I know maybe not in our lifetimes we'll see a cure for congestive heart failure and sudden cardiac arrest will be a thing of the past. That day will be a beautiful day when it comes. To find out more about my dad's story and heart health, Go on over to MaybeSwearingHelps.com and look for the Leaders for Life blog post. If you would like to make a difference, you can also click on the link in the Leader for Life blog post and make a donation to the American Heart Association to continue research and community outreach to help survivors like myself and my dad and also prevent heart disease in women. Have a good week, friends. Hey friends, are you needing some advice on your friendship? AJ and I have been through a lot of different situations together and we've definitely learned from them. So shoot us an email and we'll discuss it on our podcast. You can send it to maybe swearinghelps at gmail.com. Hope to hear from you soon.